and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. Today we've got, I don't even know how to classify her, cook, deckhand, she's done just about everything on the boat. So today we've got Bailey Davis. Bailey, how are you? I'm doing great. How would, what, what position would you call? Uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, started out cooking, doing wheel watch, that kind of stuff, and kind of progressed on to working on deck and grew up in the industry, um, worked around the industry, worked on boats worked in the bars, kind of done a little bit of everything. Well, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born, and how how were you first introduced to the industry? So I was born in Astoria, Oregon, and I was born uh, into a fishing family. My dad, uh, he's been a crabber his whole life, pretty much. Uh, My grandpa fished off the Oregon coast. He had a couple boats. Um, He had the Pacific Queen and the Amber. So Astoria is a big salmon fishing community. So he did some salmon trolling, some black cod, and uh, went into dragging. Uh, so dad kind of grew up fishing with grandpa and, uh, you know, was getting into trouble after high school. And grandpa said either ship up or sh- shape up or ship out. So he uh, went up to Kodiak and started crabbing up there. So that's how, okay. Yeah. And where did you come along in the picture? So, Dad was up in Kodiak, and he bought Mom a one-way ticket in 1982. She was 19, and got off the plane in Kodiak, and <laughs> started going crabbing with him. Uh, she cooked on the boat for a couple of years. Uh, he he ran the Patricia Lee, which was a brown crabber. Uh, so she was up there for a couple of years, and had my brother in 1985. Um, They lived up in Kodiak, and they moved back to Astoria, and then I was born. Okay. And, uh, you know, mom had brother, his name is Cody. He came out big brute of a boy, and then she had me, and she said, oh, here's my little blonde baby girl. She's going to be in ballet, and I'm going to dress her up. It's going to be great. And I ended up running around in my brother's Ninja Turtle underwear most of the time. And uh, wasn't a big fan of ballet. She put me in a ballet class and she said that all the girls were twirling around and dancing. And the teacher said, all right, girls, let's introduce yourself. Say your name and one thing about yourself. And the girls, one girl goes, my name's Tiffany and I like horses. And the other one goes, my name's Sarah and I like the color pink. She said it came to my turn and I crossed my arms and said, my name's Bailey Davis and my dad's a crabber. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I just kind of, uh, yeah, grew up in the industry around fishermen and it's just always been a part of my life, I guess. Yeah, but there's got to be a time where you were first introduced yourself to be to be going on to the boats. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I guess that would be when I graduated high school. Um, I graduated 2006 and a family friend called up, I think it was like two days after I graduated asked if I wanted to go salmon tendering. And I had no idea what it was, 
Um, but they basically said, you know, you go up on a boat for a month and you make X amount of dollars and being 18 and hearing that you could have a paycheck with a comma was, it was very, uh, intriguing. So I said yes and flew out a couple days later, landed in King Salmon, had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, uh, you know, Bristol Bay is an amazing, unique place. And it was just something so new. And uh, I landed. I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? Prior to that, you're raised in Astoria. Yeah. You've never been to Alaska. Uh, I had been to Kodiak as a as a kid. Okay. Um, you know, I didn't really quite remember it. So, yeah, I guess my dad, you know, he fished out of Kodiak and Dutch Harbor. So he would be gone uh, basically six months out of the year. Usually three months on, three months off. Um yeah, he would uh, go, we would visit him a couple times, uh, I guess, once a year, I guess. Or no, not even once a year. It would, you know, we would visit off and on, but I was so young, I didn't quite remember. Um, so I'd been up to Kodiak before and uh, been on the boat, like around shipyard. So I'd been on the boat quite a bit, uh, but never out fishing. So a trip to Alaska, King Salmon, by yourself? Yep. Okay. Yep. And how was that first experience? You know, it was, it was, uh, I fell in love with it, basically. Like, I, You weren't scared or nervous at all? I mean, I was nervous, of course, because, you know, 18, landed, didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I knew the people that I was working with, you know, the owners of the boat were family friends. I would consider them, you know, aunt and uncle. Uh, but it was the what, Maverick, okay. uh, Rick and Donna Kwashnick who are amazing. Uh, Donna passed away, I guess, two years ago. Um, so being up here, it always reminds me of her. But, uh, you know, they made it very comfortable um, and just made it a great experience. So we uh, tendered out at Peterson Point. So I got on the boat and basically tendering, for those who don't know, it's, I call, my, I call it a fish taxi almost so the drifters come and deliver to us and then we deliver to the canneries and so i basically would go out there and take the weights and write the fish tickets help whatever the guys needed and so it was a very good uh i would say introduction to working on boats as a girl as a young woman um i had seen the guys you know fishing but i never thought that i could quite do it it was very um intimidating i would guess I would see the guys, you know, out there fishing. I'm like, I can't do that. You know, there's no way I would be able to do that. Um, but as I'm observing, you know, I kind of got to see what it was all about. And um, definitely the, the paycheck was a great, uh, it was Steady. convincing. <laughs> yeah. well, that's a daily rate, right? So you can yeah. pretty well plan on and count on that money hitting your bank. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, you get a check after the season for, I think I did a 35-day contract. And as a college kid, you know, getting that check, it was <laughs> life-changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was able to travel. That's what I did after the first salmon tendering season. I took off and did a trip to Europe for a couple of months. So, you know, as you'll, as I'm sure you've heard, every fisherman, once they kind of get that taste of the lifestyle... You know, it's, it becomes addicting. Work hard, play hard. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, growing up with my dad crabbing, that's how it was. You know, he'd be gone for months on end. And, and I was, I always had a lot of respect and admiration for what he did. And I, I loved how hard he worked. 
and he would come home and he had all the time in the world when he came home. So, you know, it's a give and take love hate relationship, but I definitely got a taste of when I started to get the work hard, play hard. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, what'd you do the following year or did you come back the next year or? Yeah. So I actually, um, I went to college, I went to school at university of Oregon and I would go back every summer and go salmon tendering. And, uh, I think I did that for five years until I graduated. Um, and in the meantime, I had visited Dutch Harbor. Uh, my brother was fishing with my dad. You know, he had fished with him, I think at that point for six or seven years. And I went up to visit Dutch Harbor and I had a couple girlfriends that were bartending up there. And when I went up, I visited them and kind of got to see the whole lifestyle. So I, I graduated college and I was living in Portland, working at a, um, a doctor's office kind of living off my credit card, you know, trying to make my way. And one of my girlfriends that I had known in Dutch Harbor came to visit and she opened her wallet and had all this money. I'm like, how do you, how do you have all that money? You know, I'm barely surviving. And she said that she had a bartender in Dutch Harbor. So, uh, much to my mom's disapproval, I called her up and I said, mom, I'm going to go bartend in Dutch Harbor. She said, I know what that's like. I grew up in, or I was in Kodiak in the eighties. Please don't go. But you know, you're, it was you're like, it's money. Mom. Well, yeah. I'm like, you don't have to help me pay my rent anymore. It's going to be great. Uh -huh. So ended up going up to Dutch and I was there for about three years off and on. So any, any fishing during this period? No, no fishing during that period. Just straight bartending. Bartending. Uh, so, you know, I, that's when I say when I worked on multiple sides of the industry, you know, I got to work around the fishermen who were, you know, working hard and we're going to, we're going to get to those stories soon. Yeah. Yeah. But let's continue right now okay. with the commercial fishing side of, okay. of your, your adventure. Yeah. So, um, my first time actually com commercial fishing, not tendering, um, that would be, I believe it was 2014. Okay. Um, my dad bought a boat. So the, the boat that he had ran the Patricia Lee, he was the captain for 35 years while, uh, the owner sold it. So when it sold, he, I think he ran it for one more season and then he bought a boat down South. So he went in partners with a buddy, a buddy of his and they bought a boat and did shipyard down in Louisiana for about a year, did a major overhaul, brought the boat through the Panama canal and it was based out of Astoria and they did uh, Dungeness crab fishing and black cod. So I ended up, I started just cooking, you know, I, wanted to go out. I always wanted to, uh, go out and fish with my dad, but I wasn't quite ready to actually fish. So I just started out as a cook doing wheel watch, you know, all that kind of jazz. And, uh, we were out black cod fishing. So we were long lining pots. We were out there on a trip and a guy got hurt. And at that point I'd kind of been checking, you know, checking out how they ran gear and everything. And I'm like, okay, you know, I think I could do that. And if, when the guy got hurt, it's either go to go to shore and get a new guy or, you know, run a short deck or I'm like, I got a pair of boots. Like I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. So I ended up working out on deck doing the line bin. And, um, was there a conversation with your dad prior to that? Yeah. Uh, kind of, I mean, I just kind of volunteered, you know, he's, he's like, gosh, you know, we got a short, we're down one guy, either we can go to town and I just kind of volunteered. And he, he said, if you're cool with it, I'm, I would love to go out there. And he said, all right suit up <laughs> okay. 
So yeah, it's just started out. Um, so we we're long lining pots, uh, which we had, I think six strings and it would take us about three days. Oh, there was like three day trips. So it wasn't too bad, but you know, that was my first experience physically working on deck and I've never been so exhausted in my life. Like, you know, I would, I'm bartending. The guys would come in and, you know, they'd be like, oh, my hands hurt so bad. And I'm so tired. And I'm like, you guys, like, here's, come on. here's your whiskey tip. Well. Yeah, whatever. You guys are fine. Like, quit bitching. Right. And then actually working out on deck. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I totally get it now. I, I understand. So do you continue to do that now? I do. Yeah. So um, we did that. The boat was the Titan. Um, so I finished out the season on there. Uh, which was, I think we fished for about four months and, uh, from there finished out the season, went back to Dutch Harbor. And then I have just spent the last two seasons doing black cod. So now we, uh, we converted the Maverick over to do black cod. So we've been fishing, um, long line and pots on the Maverick for the last couple of years, as well as I, uh, I've done a few seasons of dungy, dungy fishing, dungeness crabbing. Okay. Both out of the all, Oregon coast. All on the Oregon coast. Okay. Yeah. I, I had, I'd really like to get some more of the, those Oregon fishermen, you know, um, even a lot of the guys <clears throat> that you previously heard on here, they're, they live in Oregon. Yeah. They, they, some of them started there, um, but, but they're fishing in Alaska now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's amazing how, especially on the coast of Oregon, it's all fishing families. Definitely. Um, and, and a lot of them run to Alaska and a lot of them stay close to home. There's almost a rivalry a little bit when you talk about the two. But yeah, it'd be cool to get some of those guys on. Uh, definitely. There's definitely, and even within Oregon, you know, you have the Astoria fishermen, the Newport fishermen, and, you know, like up in Alaska, there's the Kodiak way and there's the Dutch way. So it, there's definitely is a rivalry, but there is a very strong population of Astoria fishermen and Newport fishermen, especially up here in Naknek. I mean, they're all over. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so did some black cod, and then I've done a couple seasons of Dungeness crabbing, which I've never uh, king crabbed, but I have to say, I mean, dungy fishing is hard. I, I mean, it's fast. Those suckers are mean. You have to hand stack every pot. I mean, it's, it's a pretty tough gig, and I... I don't think I'll do it again. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I don't so know. So now between fishing, you're running up to Dutch or to, uh, to bartend? No, I haven't been up in Dutch for a while. Uh, so the last couple of years, basically, I've done black cod out of Astoria. So that usually goes, we've actually been doing it in the winter, which is typically it's done in the summer and fall. But we've been going from about September to January then do a little bit of dungy fishing. And if we have some quota left, we'll go back and finish up the black cod. And then I come up to Naknik in the summers to bartend, which, um, you know, I used to go tendering, but after fishing and bartending versus tendering, you know, out of the, you're making more at the bartending. You hear that guys? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you make, you make some good money. Pretty it's, it's fast. You know, it's only a couple months, but, you know, this lifestyle has allowed me to have all the freedom that I want. You know, I, I bartend for a couple months out of the year, fish for a few months out of the year. And then, uh, typically I travel, like I just, uh, in December, I went traveling in Southeast Asia for a month and 
it's it's been a very lucrative and generous lifestyle that it's it's hard to get away from mm-hmm. because it's like I said there's a lot of freedom and you know I work around great people it's a, it's really a community that I've grown to love and you know it's family involved and people from home and it's been good to me mm-hmm. and I've always had a lot of respect for fishing and the industry and I mean they're hard working people I can hear the respect, especially yeah. when you're talking about your dad, because, <clears throat> you know, this interview's about you, but you've mentioned your dad about, I don't know, eight times. Yeah. I love him. He's my yeah, best friend. I can tell. Yeah. Um, do you recall a time, and I'm, I know that you do, but do you, do you recall the first time that you were scared while on the boat? We'll talk about the first time you were scared in a bar later. But. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, I've always had, I, I feel that when you're on a boat, you just have to tr- put your trust in the vessel, you know, the person who's running it and the people who are maintaining it. And uh, like I say, I'm not, I don't consider myself a true and true fisherman because I don't, if you put me in an engine room, I don't know what's going on down there, you know, but so you have to, I have to trust who's running it and I trust my dad wholeheartedly. Um, and the first time that I brought you in, I can take you out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But the first time that I've actually been scared was this year. Uh, we were crabbing off the Oregon coast and anybody who knows about the Columbia river, the Columbia river bar, it's called the graveyard of the Pacific. I mean, it, it's claimed, I don't know how many boats, but, uh, it's very dangerous and it's known. It's known to be dangerous. We lost one this last season. Yep. Yep. And my dad actually, the. His boat, the Titan, actually went up on the rocks there. Um, God, it was 2015, so a year after he bought it. And, you know, growing up, that was one of my biggest fears. And everyone was okay. You know, everything was fine. The boat was lost. But um, so just the bar in general, you know, there's a jetty on each side. There's a north jetty and a south jetty, and it's just a wall of rocks, basically. So this year we were crabbing, and our first trip, and we were having engine problems. The main kept dying. So we called it kind of early and we were heading in and, you know, go hit the rack finally, just exhausted. And I wake up and there's silence. And anybody who's on a boat knows that silence is not good. So I wake up, I'm like, hmm, no main, no generator. Something's not right. So I go up in the wheelhouse and I look up and there's the jetty. There's the North Jetty right there. The rocks and uh, he was, dad was on the horn with the Coast Guard. So we had to get hauled in by the Coast Guard and luckily the weather wasn't bad. You know, and we were able to get in safe and sound, but that was the first time where in my mind, I was trying to be calm, cool, collected, and not freak out, but in my mind, I'm like, this is it, Mm -hmm. it's happening. It's like, this is one of my worst fears. Um, But yeah, it was very scary. And I was on the boat with my dad and my brother. So in, in my mind, I was then thinking of my mom, you know, I'm like, geez. Poor mom has three of her family members. Like if that's just a fear that I think every fisherman has and to add more of your family, like it was just, it was very scary, but we made it in safe and sound and thank God. But yeah, that was, it was very, uh, it was terrifying actually. What's your favorite part about fishing besides the, the income that allows you to travel? Uh, what would be your favorite part about it while you're actually doing it? Honestly, I think one of my favorite things is the feeling when you complete a trip of being proud of what you just accomplished and all the hard work that you just did. Um, 
it's a, it's a hard thing to explain to people who haven't done it before. Um, it's just, it makes you feel accomplished and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great feeling to know that, yeah, I did that. Like I was able to complete that trip and not, not everybody can do it, especially as a woman. I know that I get a little bit of leeway on a boat, like say crabbing, I don't stack the pots cause it's just not physically possible. Um, black cod fishing, you know, I, I try to stack at least once a day for a string and, um, being able to do that, it, it makes me feel, it makes me proud, you know, of what I'm able to accomplish. So I think, yeah, I think maybe just the feeling of accomplishment and camaraderie as well. There's something about working on a boat and the bonds that you create with people. Like it, it's, it's, it's like a family basically. You know, that bond almost exists uh, automatically when you, not necessarily when you're in an environment like we currently are today where we can walk outside and, and run into 10 fishermen outside of the door. But when you're in a different location and you find someone else that's a commercial fisherman, the bond is yeah. already there. Definitely. Um, you're at a baseball yeah. game and you run into somebody and you just happen to hear that they fish and it, it just exists. It definitely uh, does. So it becomes even more so when you're on the same boat and you're you're living together mm -hmm. and you're working together. Yeah, you know, I was in, uh, so my mom lives in Florida. My parents, dad lives there part-time when he's not fishing. And I was in the store down in Florida and there was a guy wearing an LFS shirt. <laughs> I'm like, what are the odds, you know, and we got to talking and instantly, you know, you have that connection. And it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And of course, anybody who fishes listening to this will agree. It's just, it's camaraderie and it's a family. So it's pretty neat. How did the conversation go down in Florida? Oh, I told him, I'm like, hey, you, I know that sweatshirt. I said, you've been up to Dutch Harbor? And he told me the boat. I can't remember which boat he worked on. And, um, you know, basically we just talked to, about each of our experiences and just instantly kind of connected. And I think it was in a Walgreens, you know, just yeah. random. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then we left, but it was just something that, and then it kind of gives you the feeling of like, wow, that was pretty, you know, saw that fisherman. That's pretty cool. kind of like that when cool. you run into somebody with extra tufts on, you're like, what's yep. going on? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, hey, I know you're my kind. <laughs> so uh, let's go Let's go to the bartending side a little bit because you, you've been doing that for several years too. And and that, that in itself brings its own challenges. But being on both sides, mm -hmm. being on the fishing side and then on the serving side mm -hmm. of fishermen, what are some of those run-ins like? Uh, there, I mean, there's great run-ins and then there's other run-ins where <laughs> it's not so great. Um, I never thought that I would be a bartender. You know, I went to college and got a bachelor's degree and then I went up bartending in Dutch Harbor and, you know, that's just not quite what I saw happening, but I ended, it just, it's, it's worked out. Um, and at first, you know, it was very intimidating. Uh, it's, it's a whole different world up in Alaska. It really is. And being around a population that is, you know, 95% men, um, I get to see a different side of men, which some of it's good. Some of it's bad. Uh, there's a lot of very, very respectful men who are protective and they will, you know, protect their gal pals at any cost and, uh, make sure that they are respected. Um, and then there's, you know, guys who, make me never want to get married in my life. You know, it's, it's kind of given me, shown me all sides of the spectrum of, um, men in general. I don't know, but, uh, it's, 
I've made great friendships, you know, and the, the girls who bartend in Alaska, it's, it gets tough, you know, you're working really long hours and, uh, you're around a lot of men who they're coming from fishing and they just want to have a good time and party. And sometimes it gets to be a bit much. Um, but all in all, I mean, it's, it's been a great experience and I keep coming back because everybody, they try to take care of their bartenders and everybody just wants to have a good time, I guess. Um, you know, like the guys come in, they've been working really hard and they just want to let loose and have a few drinks. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like I said, it's just, there's whole different sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, well, do you have any stories you want to share with us that you think are, are fun to get out oh. there? So I, n I never quite thought that I would actually end up being a fisherman. Um, as a woman, you know, it's just never something that I thought would be plausible, really. But once I kind of got into the industry, I kind of fell in love with it. And um, black cod fishing was a great introduction. And uh, I fished with my dad. And then I got a job on another boat called the Fierce Leader out of Astoria, uh, fishing for an infamous skipper named Dennis Sergel. And he is a one-of-a-kind character. You know, he is, uh, oh God, he, I mean, he is entertaining. He is a great fisherman. He is, he's had, I mean, the some of the best stories you could ever imagine. And he was great to fish for. Um, I ended up black cod fishing for him for a season. And after the season was over, he said, well, you want to you wanna come out dungy fishing for us? And I'm like, Phew. Come on, Dennis. You know, like, I'm pretty realistic. I know that I could not hack it as a dungy fisherman. I'm not even going to pretend. He's like, no, it's fine. You know, we had a 50-year-old woman out here last year. All you have to do is sort crab and bait. And I'm like, all right, just as long as you, <laughs> as long as you know that I'm not saying I can do it, but I'll try. So uh, we end up going out on a trip, and it was a seven-day trip. And we're out there, you know, 21 hours a day, and then you get, about a three hour, three to four hour lay down and we rotate and basically the boat never shuts down. And so about fifth day into it, <laughs> wake up, they wake me up after my lay down and I sit in my rack and for about five minutes, just <laughs> what am I doing out here? I'm a dainty little flower. This is horrible, but all right, let's go out and do it. So I go out on deck and everybody's just tired. You know, you're grinding away and Dennis, he's the type of skipper where he, I mean, he knows. He can tell when the morale's coming down. And uh, he, he sees everybody kind of, you know, getting down and tired, and he'll stop. He'll be like, all right, did you hear the story about little Johnny? And then he goes and tells a joke about little Johnny and gets the crew back and laughing. And it's he has an amazing way of uh, boosting you back up, kind of and kind of getting things going again. And, uh, he was just an amazing skipper. And, uh, after that first trip going into town, I mean, <laughs> I may have cried a little bit in my rack <laughs> on the last day. It was tough. Uh, but he had a way of, you know, making it fun. And I think it all, a lot of times it's the crew you work with that can either make or break it. And the skipper you work for that can make or break it. Um, from my perspective, at least. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just had a great, great way of doing that. So I, I fished with him for a season and I said, I would never do it again because it's, it was a little too tough for me, which 
you know, I, like I say, I fish, but I don't consider myself a legit true and true fisherman. Like say, uh, we just interviewed Reba. I have the utmost respect for her. You know, she's a skipper. She runs a boat. She knows all about it. And, uh, I aspire to be like that, but at the same time, I kind of know my limits. <laughs> I, I went over to see her uh, the other day, and she was working. I mean, yeah. like working her hydro. I think she was yeah. her, her hydronics. She was working on her boat. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, she's she's legit. Very. I have a lot of respect for her. Like I said, um, I consider myself kind of a situational fisherman. Like I've just kind of fallen into the to it, and uh, I've definitely learned a lot and kind of progressed more. Um, after the fierce leader, uh, uh, we converted the Maverick over to long line pots for black cod. So that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. And I started out just doing the line bin mostly, which, um, you know, is, it's, it's a good position on the boat to, for me. Um, and then I eventually started stacking. I'm like, you know, I need to get out of the line bin a little bit. And, uh stacked a little bit and then our crew changed and uh it was basically just me and one other guy that were the same crew and everybody else was new and my buddy who was on there chris he looked around as we got the new crew and he's like all right bailey you're running hydros i said what i said i don't run hydros he's like well you do now so for the last season i ended up running hydros which was very intimidating but you know i kind of figured it out and it was it was cool. It was, you know, very cool feeling that I never thought that that was a position that I would be able to do and accomplish. But after doing it, you know, it was, it was exciting. So that's what I ended up doing last year was, uh, run hydros, which is scary. Cause you have all that power, you know, you're controlling the whole system. And when shit goes wrong, shit goes wrong, you know, and it's scary. So Did it, you mess up at all. Uh, well, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, there was, a. We were, we were hauling really deep. I think we were like 500 fathoms and you have 500 fathoms between the snatch block and the pots, you know, down below and you have all that weight and tension. And I should have, you know, I should have been going a little slower, but, um, went a little too fast and snapped the line, which is very scary. Um, that was the first time I'd ever done it. And it's, you know, kind of made me take a step back and realize like, okay, I got a lot of power in my hands. It's, it takes a lot of focus and, uh, yeah, we parted the line or I parted the line and, uh, I was very stressed out and really down on myself. And Chris, my buddy was like, Hey, it happens. And now you did it. And now you learn from it. So that was pretty cool. Um, afterwards all said and done, he kind of calmed me down and made me realize like shit happens. It's just how you react to it pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see yourself continuing to uh, to fish and bartend and travel? I mean, where are you at now? Oh, you know, I said I wouldn't bartend past 30. Here I am, 31. <laughs> I'm bartending again this season. Because um, it's, it's, uh, it's just a great lifestyle that I've enjoyed. And I'm we're going to go back, finish out our black cod season. We had to shut down a little early, so I'll continue this fall black cod fishing. Um, I could definitely can see myself continuing to fish, uh, bartending, not so much. It's, uh, something I'd like to step away from, but up here in Bristol Bay in the summertime, it's, it's short and it's very lucrative, but I would actually like to get into gill netting. 
eventually. I think that would be a really cool thing to do. I just haven't quite um, stepped into that yet. You know, it's just, I'm, it's good where I'm at, I guess. Yeah, you would think that towards the end of the season, you could easily get a spot. Yeah. Because a, a lot of crew members leave early, you know. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. peak guys and they get out. Yeah, I would definitely like to, during peak, you know, we're so slow at the bar because everybody's out fishing, to go out for a couple couple trips but I uh last summer I actually ended up going out on one opener I wanted to go out and try it so I went with a pal and I had closed the bar God, I don't think I got out of there till about 7 a.m met him at 8 30 to go out on the boat pretty soon I'm realizing oh, all right I gotta work here tonight about nine for you know 12 hours went out for a little bit on deck I'm like you know what I think I'm gonna take a little nap <laughs> I'm gonna oh. hit the rack <laughs> so didn't quite get the experience, but um, hopefully this season, you know, something will work out. Even just, you know, one or two openers would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I've been tendering up here, but gill netting, it just seems, it seems really fun. I don't know. Have you ever done it before? No. No. Yeah, it seems, everybody who does it seems like they really enjoy it. I've seen. So, yeah. That's, that's fun. Okay. But yeah, gill netting, no. Yeah. I don't think I'd be a very good fish pecker. It's, yeah, you gotta, uh, from what I hear, I mean, you gotta be fast and nimble with your friend. yeah it's people who are good at it they're good though mm -hmm. and they make a lot of money i never realized how lucrative uh gill netting was up here and it's That's... a great it's it's a great uh industry up here and it's the whole pebble mine thing is very it's scary you know because this is well, i mean is it the largest salmon natural salmon run it's i believe the, yeah 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 so for for them to come in and try to take that away i mean it would never recover from what i've heard if something went wrong yeah, yeah. if something went wrong which we, you have to assume that something would at some point somewhere mm -hmm. down the line yeah so there's a lot of money so we'll see what happens just hoping for the best yeah yeah so uh you see yourself marrying a fisherman ah because you've had <laughs> you, you, you said it yourself earlier that you've seen both sides of them yes so my mom always told me she said bailey don't get married before you're 30 don't have kids before you're 30 and don't ever date a fisherman. <laughs> so I got two out of three, but so, well, let's, let's see. You're not married. Uh huh. You don't have kids. Yep. But we, I love me a fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, I've, yeah, I've always, I love me a fisherman. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if, and when I will get married, I, I mean, I obviously wouldn't put it past myself to marry fisherman because i you drawn to the water and drawn to the boat? Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could fish together. Who knows? Well, I have just, fished with... That's just it. Know. I think you come from that heritage. Yeah. Um, even your mom mm -hmm. spent time on boats. Yeah, um, so she was 19. Your brother was probably made on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he was born in Kodiak. Uh-huh, right? yep. You yeah. might have been made because he went back and was born in Astoria. Yep, yep. I think the, the sea is definitely in my blood. So it's... I, I definitely... I've tried to step away from the whole lifestyle and, but it just hasn't worked. I just, I love it. I love, um, the people and just the way of life. I think it's great and unique and some of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. And I've just always admired and respected it. Like one of my, uh, I was a sociology major in college and one of my, uh, senior level classes, you had to write a paper on your family heritage. And, you know, we don't really have a strong heritage. I mean, I'm a, European mutt basically and so I went to my professor and I, I said we all are yeah right I said well I don't really have a strong heritage um but I consider a fishing culture I mean I, I think that's what my culture is so I actually wrote one of my senior level papers on 
sociology of fishing. And I uh, interviewed um, my parents and then a couple other fishing couples and the dynamic of a marriage fishermen and their wives. Like it's, it's a hard lifestyle to maintain as a married couple. You know, um, my theory is that when the, when you're home or I guess I should step, take a step back when, when the man leaves to go fishing, you know, people change. Or the woman. Or the woman. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, people change, whether it's two months, three months, sometimes six months. So when they're gone, the wife has her her life with the kids and her routine and how everything works. And then all of a sudden, dad or mom comes home and it's you kind of throw a wrench in the gears. First of all, I mean, you have to get to know each other all over again. It's kind of like the honeymoon period. So, you know... The fisherman comes home and you've changed a little bit. So you kind of get to know each other. I call that the honeymoon period. And then pretty soon he's trying to adjust to her way. But he comes home. He's like, well, you know, I'm part of this household too. I need to have a say. And so it's kind of that adjustment period. And then pretty soon after the honeymoon's over, you have the adjustment period. And then there's a period where the wife's like, you need to get the hell out of here. You need to get back to work. Yeah. (laughs) Time to go. Bye-bye. So it's kind of this, uh, it's just a wave of honeymoon adjustment, get the hell out of here. And then they're gone and you miss them so much. And then it's just kind of a cycle. So Mm -hmm. a lot of couples can't sustain it. And it takes a strong woman to be married to a fisherman. Or a man. Or a man, yes. Because, you know, you're basically a single parent. There and are there are some very big success stories out yes, there. Yes, yes. Um, the Dwyers. Yes, right? yes. I love their uh, story. Yep, but um, mm-hmm. also like some that we haven't ever talked about on the podcast. Roger and Tammy Rowland. They fish out of uh, Chignik. Okay. And they, I think that their kids were they very well could have been born on the boat. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they they they're always together. They um, he he's the captain. She she'd be his uh, first mate, cook, um, mm-hmm. uh, mother hen. Um, their kids were raised on the boat. They deckhanded on the boat. Their oldest son, Axel, now owns his own boat, got married. She's working with him. They're going to oh, make I love that. It's like this really yeah. tight family, yep. you know, and uh, and they, they, would, they wouldn't be separated from each other. Mm-hmm. So there's that side, yep. too. Yeah, I think couples can either thrive with it or it can, it can make or break you. Um, like a, a story that I've always loved was um, the family that I worked for on the Maverick, the Quashniks. They're from Astoria. And uh, Donna would be up uh, with Rick and, like you said, kind of the mother hen, the boat mom. And she would go up, you know, every crab season and every summer she was up here tendering and she was part of the boat. And their, you know, their kids would come fishing with them and everything. And they were just the love that she had for her husband and that he had for her and the partnership that they had in running the boat. I admired it. And. So, yeah, I guess, I mean, I would love to have that. Um, Hear that, guys? <laughs> you know, I might be out on deck, and he can be in cooking. We'll hey, see. Forget, forget Tinder. we got galley stories. So your yeah. picture will be posted with it. We'll just have guys write in. Oh, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could definitely see myself marrying a fisherman. And it's, I, I do love the success stories. Like you said, the Dwyers, I think. Her story and then I love Bree and Sean. You know, I I worked Same with Bree a little bit up in Dutch. I but know see, her that's bit, how he but... was raised. Sean was raised yeah, that way. He yeah. was raised to be that guy. And I think it's amazing that you know how Bree stepped in and her photography and what she adds to their whole dynamic. It's great. Um, yeah, it can 
It's definitely something I would like. Um, you're, now you're going to be seeking it. Yeah, I wouldn't quite say that, but we'll see. Okay, so the doors is, are open. <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to cover? Um, you know, I guess I, I kind of rushed through my story a little bit. You know, I got a little bit nervous, but um, you know, I guess uh, I started out baby stepping into the industry, tendering, then cooked and went out on deck a bit, and now. I think it's either I'm going to continue fishing and uh, figure something out along those lines long term, or I'll try to step away from it. I don't know quite yet. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's all kind of up in the air from here. We'll see. But well, fortunately, you don't have to make that decision now. Yeah, right. Yep. So, um, you know, I would love to continue fishing with my dad and figure something out long term um maybe like a partnership type of thing do you see yourself think, running your dad's boat ah uh, you know <laughs> I, I actually did start uh i went for my ab license i was starting but then we ended up fishing um i it's something that yes i would love to but i would want to do it the right way not just step in and be like oh yeah this is well, my you dad's mentioned, boat you mentioned reba <laughs> yeah you know yeah. uh she was pretty much thrust into it, like mm -hmm. Sean was. Mm -hmm. uh, her father got ill, mm -hmm. and, and very, very quickly, she was the captain of the boat. And uh, you, when listening to her, you hear those fears come out. Yeah. Um, but planning ahead, like you're, you're doing now, I mean, if you yeah. can see yourself there, if that's the direction you want to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could. I think I just have a lot of self-doubt um, because I, as a woman, you know, I wasn't quite... Yes, I was around it, but I, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't know. And I wouldn't want to step into a position uh, doubting myself and not knowing enough to be there, you know. So I would want to do it the right way, uh, kind of start from the ground up. It just hasn't, I just haven't quite gotten there yet. So mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you have the final. Yeah. Yeah. The final. Final. The final say. Um, do you want a story or? Whatever you want. Okay. Um, it's your podcast. Oh, my podcast. That's a lot of pressure. Um, Any words of encouragement for other young ladies wanting to go out there? Yeah. Uh, I think it is becoming more and more um, common for women to be on boats. And I've, I've actually gotten a few gals jobs tendering. And it's it really makes me happy to see women on working on deck, you know, because it's uh, like Tiffany on the on the destination or sorry not the destination uh, provider, what's what's her boat Progress, right? I mean I have a lot of respect for her. She's amazing. So I think for words of encouragement for girls is just just go for it, you know, and try to learn as much as you can, uh, just and work hard, you know. Well, girls are smarter than us. <laughs> Uh, we all have we all have our uh, our our strengths, I guess. Um, I should have worded that smarter than me. <laughs> well, I always do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's cool to see women on boats. Um, it is. We'll we'll see you know where I go from here. Definitely want to keep learning. You know, um, I'd like to learn more downstairs in the engine room and see what all I can what all I can do. So other than that, you know, it's I'm just gonna keep keeping on in the industry and see where it takes me. Okay. 
Well, thanks for coming to join us today, yeah. Bailey. Thanks for dealing with my nervous oh, interview. It's been, it's been <laughs> great. It's been great. All right, guys, it's been another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bearing Sea and Beyond. And uh, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Spread it out there on Facebook a little bit. Uh, more importantly, though, uh, if you can get on there and leave that iTunes review, uh, we'd appreciate it. And we will see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Whether you like it or not, we're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too. And reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.